Welcome to The Remedy, brought to you by NYC Health and Hospitals, innovating public health care to benefit all New Yorkers. Hey, everyone, it's Michael Shen. Every New Yorker deserves to live a healthy life, and access to great health care is closer than you might think. So here's something I didn't know until recently. Our public hospital system serves 15,000 meals on a daily basis. Now, that's a lot of fresh-cooked food. And not only that, thanks to our guest today, who I'm excited to introduce, we now have a full offering of cultural plant-based meals for hospital patients. Things like paella, tricolor couscous, pad thai, and even sancocho. Not food I thought I would see on an inpatient ward. What's more, in our primary care clinics, we now have the nation's biggest lifestyle medicine program, which has already helped hundreds of patients. They can get nutrition counseling, deliveries of fresh produce, and even a cookbook. So our show today, Food is Medicine, how NYC Health and Hospitals is at the forefront of using food to save lives. So I'm joined today by two very special guests, Dr. Michelle McMacken, our system's executive director of nutrition and lifestyle medicine, and Chef Phil DiMaiolo, executive chef for NYC Health and Hospitals. Michelle, Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Thank you, Michael. I'm thrilled to be here myself. This is really great. We get to have a whole show about talking about food, which I'm really excited about. So I wanted to get a start with the basics. So what is lifestyle medicine, Michelle? That is a great question. And it's actually a term that I did not know what it meant until I was 10 years into my life as a practicing physician. So I'm glad you asked. Basically, lifestyle medicine is this idea that is actually very, very obvious, which is that the way that we live our lives, whether it's the food that we eat, how we handle stress, how we sleep, how interconnected we are, how physically active we are, all of these things together are foundational to our health. And so it sounds really obvious, but in medical training, that's not necessarily something that is emphasized. I'm sure you mm -hmm. can agree. I totally agree. Um, mm -hmm. We don't really learn the science behind it. We don't learn how important it is. And we also don't really learn how to help patients make these changes and also how to help patients address some of the very real barriers that they face to making these changes, even if they want to. Yeah, I wish I had more nutrition training as a resident, but I really didn't. Yeah, you and me both. I remember graduating from medical school going on to my residency and having my preceptors say to me, okay, so you're seeing a patient with high cholesterol. Why don't you just talk to them about how they can change their diet? And I would go back into the room with the patient and I was so ashamed that I had no idea what to tell them. And it wasn't until I actually said, you know what, I'm going to study nutrition because I know it's really important as something that I feel that my patients need to know that I finally learned the answer to that elusive question. That's amazing because I've yet to get there. <laughs> so we'll I'm talk. happy. Yeah. We'll talk. <laughs> I'm really happy that the program is is spreading. And it's no secret that Mayor Eric Adams is a big fan of plant-based eating and our lifestyle medicine program. And he's often said that switching to a plant-based diet helped him treat his diabetes. So I'm kind of curious, what does research show about how food can actually cure disease? So we think about food as prevention, which is very, very true. But the science is also clear that what we eat can actually have a huge impact on chronic diseases that we already have. And diabetes is a great example because of different types of chronic conditions. Diabetes is one that's extraordinarily responsive to dietary changes. And in fact, 
if you have a relatively new diagnosis of diabetes, so you've been, you know, told that you have diabetes in the past year, two years, three years, up to about four or five years, the possibility of actually putting your diabetes into remission with lifestyle change is very real, just like our mayor did. And I, I have to say, having seen this in my practice, it's one of the most rewarding things I've ever experienced as a physician professionally and, of course, for the patient as well. Yeah, I feel like I get caught up in all the medicine and all the drugs that treat all these diseases, but I would really like to do what Chef Phil does, cook all day <laughs> for people and, and heal them. I think that would be amazing. And I think in that vein, the Lifestyle Medicine Program, we've been expanding across New York City. You started out at Bellevue Hospital in Manhattan. I know it's going up to the Bronx. It's going to my hospital, Woodhall Hospital in Bed-Stuy in Brooklyn, which I'm really excited about. And I've already, I'll tell you, I've already been referring tons of patients to Wonderful. it. Uh, I've been spreading the word. Um, Michelle, can you tell me what I should tell my patients to look forward to in the program? So what we've done is we've put together a team of providers, so clinicians like physicians and nurse practitioners, as well as dietitians, health coaches, fitness instructors, psychologists, oh, wow. program coordinators, and community health workers. And everybody works together as a team to help people along the way. And then on the one-on-one -on -one visits, that's where we really tailor it because you know, people are coming from different places. First of all, they want to know what can lifestyle change do for me and my health conditions. And number two, we want to understand what are your barriers. Maybe you're, you know, the folks that you live with don't want to change what they're eating and you do. How do you get around that? Or maybe you don't have enough access to healthy food. How can we help you with that? Your neighborhood isn't safe to exercise outside. How can we tailor our recommendations to you? So patients in our program get all of that. Plus, you mentioned before, produce, fresh produce deliveries. Yeah, that's really cool. A free cookbook, resistance bands for our exercise classes with our fitness instructor, and numerous other things. So it's like a gold star experience. I could use some of that myself, I think. Um. <laughs> Maybe someone can refer you. <laughs> I can refer you. <laughs> Phil, did you work together on kind of creating some of the food recommendations or, or videos or any of that? No, we. I mean, we collaborate with each other constantly on what's good for our patients. Most of the menu items were developed by myself and my team. And then we actually put them out for tastings not only to the nursing stations and to the patients that are in the hospitals, but to everyone that's kind of involved because the more feedback we get, the better off we are. That's awesome. And Michelle, I'm wondering if you have any patient examples that you could share of success stories in, in your clinic. One patient whose story I love to share is someone who came to us relatively early on in our Bellevue program. And she, at the time, was in her 60s and living with multiple different medical conditions, including diabetes and a history of stroke. And what bothered her the most of all of her conditions was the fact that she had knee arthritis that was so bad that she was really getting to the point where she needed to use a wheelchair to walk, to be outside of the home. And so when she came to our program and I said, you know, tell me, why did you join this program and what are you hoping to get out of it? She said, what I really want is to have more mobility. And specifically, I have not been able to go on this, you know, annual trip to Atlantic City with my friends for the last few years because I don't want them to push me around in a wheelchair. I want to be able to walk around when I'm with my friends. And so if you can help me do that, that's my goal. And I thought, okay, well, that's, let's see how this goes. And we actually, over time, worked with her around different, what we call pillars of lifestyle change. I mentioned some before. So we worked with her on 
She had very limited culinary skills, so we taught her some very basic meals. We gave her discount cards to access fresh produce, and she made some changes to her diet. She went towards a more plant-predominant eating pattern. She also started doing our exercise classes seated with a resistance band because we can modify that. We helped her start getting more sleep. She was staying up until 1.30 or 2 with the TV on and only sleeping about five hours a night. And we said, you know what, if you're sleep-deprived, you're going to make different choices during the day than if you have better sleep and your metabolism is going to be different. So we worked with her to get up to seven hours of sleep a night. We worked on stress reduction with her. And long story short, over the course of nine months, she lost 40 pounds. Her blood sugar significantly improved with her diabetes. Her LDL cholesterol went down 25 points. And best of all, she actually was able to start walking three blocks at a time. And she made that trip to Atlantic City. Amazing. Incredible. That's awesome. I want to transition here and go away from kind of the programming and talk just about food itself. And so, Shafil, i turn over to you. I know you have a lot to say about food in the hospital. I was wondering if you could share some of that philosophy with us. Well, I think the vision has to be centered on good food. And when I was first interviewed for this job back in 2020, I was asked, what do you think about hospital food? And I had said to the person that was interviewing me, I'm sorry, I really don't know much about hospital food. So if I don't get this position because I don't know this answer, I can understand. I said, but I only know two things about food. There's good food and there's bad food. Okay. And you, you could either continue to go down that road by just eating things that are processed and, and, and things that are not healthy for you. Mm -hmm. But you could also have restaurant-style food that's really healthy for you. And I think some people get frightened by when you mention healthy and food in the same sentence mm -hmm. because they think that, okay, I'm just going to get a poached piece of chicken or I'm going to get something that is kind of bland and has no seasoning. But if you focus on good recipes and good execution of food, especially when you're going into plant-based. And you mentioned Sancocho before. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the dishes I think that we're most proud of. Number one, we, we did a lot of research in the cultures that we feed throughout the five boroughs mm -hmm. in, in health and hospitals. So I, I went back to my childhood. I went back to that when I'm not feeling good, what do I eat? Mm -hmm. Okay, What was comfort for me? And that's the approach that we took when we developed the plant-based menu for health and hospitals. We had to make people feel comfortable. When you're in a hospital, there's not too many things that you get a choice to do. So one of the things was picking your menu item. So we felt if you were comfortable picking it, it was something from your childhood, something that was indigenous to where you grew up, or something in your neighborhood that you really feel good about, that we would get you to eat and get you to eat healthy. So Sancocho, for instance, which is normally made with some type of meat or animal protein, we made strictly plant-based, but we started off with traditional ingredients. Can you just tell us what Sancocho is? Sancocho is a Latin style of hearty soup or stew, usually made with all indigenous root vegetables from the areas where people of that ethnicity grew up. So you have things like yuca, you have plantains. Some uh, individuals use garbanzo beans. That's where we get our protein from. Definitely potato some corn, but it all starts off with the aromatics that you cook with. And that's what's something that's called sofrito. In the Latino community, they 
buy individual peppers that are very tiny called ajicito peppers. You also use onion and cilantro and culentro or recal, all these ingredients that are grown in the environment where they grew up. That's where your flavor profile comes from. So as long as you're using natural good ingredients and familiar flavors, you don't need to use an animal protein in order to get that umami flavor because you're getting it in all the aromatics that you're doing and the natural flavors from the ingredients of all those root vegetables. You're making me salivate. I was, I was going to say, I'm so hungry right now and I just ate lunch. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the cultures that are represented in our population? Wow. Well, our mainstay is a Latino community, probably about 60% of our population. But we have if, I mean, you go to Queens, Queens, there's a, what, 141 languages that are spoken in Queens. So you have from Asia to Latin, and in Asia, you have so many different types of communities. You have people from Sri Lanka, and you have people from India, you have people that are Bengali, you have Vietnamese, you have Thai. So when you look at that, what you want to do is you want to develop flavors that have a commonality. Because you, obviously you, you're not going to make 141 different dishes because there's 141 different languages that are in the community. But curry's big throughout a lot of Asia. So we look to do things like that. And we have a great marinated tofu that sits on red curry vegetable. We also have in our Caribbean population, we have a Caribbean style curry that's made with coconut milk. So you can still use similar flavors, but you just adapt them to certain people that are in the areas that they're living in. It makes me wonder what the menu was like before. Like, I, I think I love you that. You don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because when I was a resident at Bellevue, actually, I certainly don't remember the inpatient meals being anywhere near delicious. <laughs> but I will say recently when I've been on the wards, things have smelled better. And sometimes I'm kind of like, what, what is that? <laughs> Yeah, we're very proud of what we've done since 2022 of March, developing this whole plant-based menu. And we have so many more things we need to develop within mm -hmm. the plant-based world. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it's a challenge to us because, you know, back in the day when you're working in restaurants and hotels and fine dining, one of the most difficult things I've always found was to actually create a really good menu of vegetables. There, was, there wasn't a lot of chefs that developed that. And, and I look at it like, okay, they're working with game and, and meat proteins and all kinds of different birds. And, but there were very few restaurants that you can really go to and not feel as special as the people that were eating the meat protein. Those days are gone. They really are. And I actually had the pleasure of visiting our central kitchen, which I did not know existed. It's by Kings County Hospital in Brooklyn. And have we all seen the bear? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little traumatized. It, it, it's not like the bear. Like, it is not what I would have thought a kitchen is. It's very well run. It is like everything is on a schedule. And I was like, this is a much smaller facility than I would have imagined in order to feed 15,000 people every day across 11 different hospitals serving all of New York City. What's that like for you? Just an ordinary day when you when you <laughs> when you're in the culinary business, you know whether you're at a, a large hotel or, or you know, a uh, if you're doing big banqueting, but it's sort of a labor of love mm -hmm. because it's all how you develop it. Not only the menu, you have to develop the people, and you have to get them to really want to cook that style of food, mm -hmm. and you have to incorporate everyone. Mm -hmm. So it's not just one person's idea. 
okay? It's several people that are collaborating. Mm. So when, when you're working with the individuals that are actually doing the cooking and they say, you know what? I used to make something when I was a kid. My mom used to make this dish or whatever it might be because we all come from different backgrounds. But somewhere along the line, we've all eaten you know, something that reminded us of our childhood or something that we know that might have been healthier for us because of where they grew up. I remember growing up myself where meat was a time of celebration when you had something because you couldn't afford to eat meat seven days a week. So there were a lot of vegetable-style dishes that were created, whether it was dandelions and escarole with a little bit of pasta or something like that. So maybe on a Sunday you would have a roast or, you know, or people were coming over for the holidays and that's, that's when you cooked a, a meat protein. Mm. But in health and hospitals at the culinary center, we have a lot of individuals that really feel that they're cooking again hmm. and seeing products they've never seen before. And by seeing the end result and actually the, the satisfaction scores that we get from a lot of our patients, there's a lot of pride that goes into it. So you're cooking from the heart. And that's a big part of the operation is actually getting feedback and the patient surveys. Can you tell us what those surveys show? Yeah, actually, there's two ways that we actually get feedback as far as that's documented. We have this, well, Prescani scores, I, I equivalent them to Michelin stars. Okay? That's so um, funny. And what, what happens is after you're discharged from a hospital, you'll get a survey and the survey will ask you a few questions. And that's how we get some ratings on what we're serving. But real-time data is through a platform called Experiencia. And that's where we have individuals that actually take your order for your food, okay, uh, the day before, and they'll say the chef's specialty for tomorrow is. And after you have that meal, they come back, that same individual comes back and asks you how you enjoyed it. So we get either a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So it enables us to know what type of cuisine people are enjoying and the flavors that people enjoy. And what happens is that when we get those ratings, we do not put anything on the menu that is less than 80% plus. So we know that people are going to enjoy oh, wow. it. And the reason and, and how we do that is that we'll come up with an idea. We'll actually serve it as a special through all 11 hospitals. And then we'll get feedback from in the next morning, I'm on the phone with one of my colleagues, Michelle, and saying, okay, what do the scores look like? Because I don't want to wait. Mm. I want to be able to say, okay, and do we have to tweak anything? Is there any comments with it? And that's how we pretty much approach all of our menu items. What's the hottest dish in the, in the system right oh. now? <laughs> you know, you go back to the Sancocho. Sancocho is really popular because of our communities of, yeah. of Latino cultures, but also arroz con gandules y calabaza, which basically translate to pigeon pea stew, with rice and pumpkin. But we have a lot of things on the menu. I think we have a new item that we were just testing that we were really proud of. And we actually served it to a doctor's conference and dietitian's conference in DC for 600 people. And it was a jerk style mushroom with collard greens, red beans, and sweet plantains. Ooh. So, you know, it's not just like you know, here's a can of chickpeas thrown on a plate with a little curry on it or whatever and say, okay, see, see you later and hope they enjoy it. There's a lot of thought that goes into preparing these dishes. And again, we take pride in it, you know? So it's like, and we want to hear what everyone has to say. And if we don't get that result that we want, we go back to the drawing board. 
amazing. I can personally vouch for those two, the first two dishes that you mentioned. I was unfortunately not at that doctor's conference, but that sounds really good too. <laughs> but the sancocho. And the black IP casserole with yes, cornbread also. That that's one's also one. extremely sounds popular. Yeah. Delicious. I never thought there was so much culinary creativity that you could pour into a hospital system. So I'm really glad that you care, you're here. You care. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. Sounds like you care a lot. And that's really wonderful. You know, before we wrap up, I, I wanted to leave our audience with something to take away. And so I want to ask each of you if there are any cooking tips, any health and lifestyle tips that you want to leave our audience with. Michelle? So I would say that one of the things that I find in my practice is that, you know, many of my patients come to me intuitively understanding that what they eat makes a difference to their health, but feeling very confused because they're getting a lot of mixed messages. And we're all subject to that. What we see on social media, what we hear on TV or magazines. So my message is that there's actually broad consensus around the eating patterns that promote health. And essentially the more um, fruits and vegetables, whole grains, legumes, like Sheffield's been talking about, chickpeas, beans, lentils, and nuts and seeds. The more that you can get, fill your plate preferentially with those foods, the better off you are. And whether you're choosing to do that from a Caribbean culinary tradition, an Asian culinary tradition, Italian, what have you, this is compatible with cultural traditions from around the world. And in fact, if you go generations back, this is how most people ate, as you were saying before, Phil. And so I think we can work around different tweaks for different people, but essentially that's the secret. And there's consensus around that. And the fact that we know that the way we're eating now is actually the leading cause, the leading risk factor for dying of a chronic disease in this country is what we're eating. And so we have so much potential to help people and for people to help themselves, especially if we help people get access to healthy foods and work with them and explain to them around what are some of the healthiest choices that are also affordable and economical and accessible to them. Thanks. And my advice would be stay out of the aisles that you don't belong in the supermarket. Okay. <laughs> stay away from canned items. You know, you could find individually quick frozen garbanzo beans or, or dry beans and actually prepare them yourself. They're not that difficult. Don't be frightened, okay? Make the attempt. There'll be less sodium in your product, okay? You'll be able to flavor them with fresh herbs, okay, from your produce aisles, things like that. And look at a lot of cultures. When you, know, when you look at Indian cultures, just like I spoke about the sofrito, well, they have their own style. It's ginger, garlic, and onion that is sauteed until it caramelizes and you get all those aromas and flavors out of it. Utilize things like that. That'll bring flavor. It'll lessen your sodium intake. Buy fresher ingredients. Stay away from the processed food. There's nothing wrong with trial and error. Even if you don't get it right the first time, there's tons of recipes out there that you can look at. Just try it. And it doesn't have to be every night. Just start little by little, just adding these things to your diet. And you'll see by the time the end of the week comes down the road, you'll see a lot more fresh items in your pantry. And before we end, I wanted to think about the future and just ask each of you where the next six months will take us. Michelle? So our program at Bellevue um, has been operational now for almost five years, and we were really excited to welcome the first expanded program at Jacoby this fall. 
And we will be now welcoming a program at Woodhull, your hospital, Dr. Shen, yes. in just a couple of days. And then at the end of this month at King's. And then we'll have programs at Elmhurst in Queens, at Lincoln in the Bronx, and um, at Kings County in Brooklyn, as well as in Staten Island at Vanderbilt. So that's all rolling out over the next few months. You're going to hit all five boroughs. We're going to hit all five boroughs. And really the idea is we're just trying to get, you know, help New Yorkers get healthier. And we're trying to reach as many communities as we can to do it. And Sheffel, any grand plans for the next six months? We're working on a lot of breakfast items that are plant-based and just making sure that we have enough in our bank that when we want to look at items that maybe aren't moving as good anymore and not as popular anymore, but we have new ideas and fresh ideas because the population will change in our hospitals. So that's what we're doing. And it's also something that I'm looking to maybe you know, leave the gym in the next six months and join one of Dr. McMacken's uh, <laughs> programs because it sounds so much better than you do on your normal life every Bring day. Bring me with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hold a spot for you guys. <laughs> Wonderful. So that's all the time we have today. This was so much fun. I can't think of a better way to spend the afternoon than to talk about food. I want to say a big thank you to Dr. Michelle McMacken and Chef Phil DeMaiolo for joining us on the show. Thanks so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks as well to you for listening. Please remember to leave a review and subscribe. We're just getting started. I'm Dr. Michael Shen, and this has been The Remedy, brought to you by NYC Health and Hospitals. See you next time. This podcast was produced by Amaze Media Labs. 